The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Today, expert knowledge is so highly valued that we learn to lead first as the expert whose mastery of the details helps teams solve problems. Eventually, as your leadership role expands, expert leaders find themselves in a role where others know more. Details are no longer so accessible, and decisions are made without a full understanding. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. It's time to find out how to make the transformation smooth and flawless. Now, here is Dr. Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. I'm Wanda Wallace, and today we're going to be focusing on how you can lead with better intention. So the three relevant questions for today. First, who do you want to be as a leader? Second, what impact do you want to have? And third, how do you want people to experience you? My guest today, Mindy Hall, is president and CEO of Peak Development Consulting. She's the author of a book called Leading with Intention, Every Moment is a Choice. And if that's not enough, she's been featured in just about every business magazine you can imagine, from Harvard Business Review to Forbes to Fast Company to Strategy and Business, and on we go. The book was a 2014 Indie Fab Book of the Year award. She works with global corporations, all large organizations across a broad range of sectors, helping them create sustainable organizations and leadership development solutions. Okay, and Mindy says that no matter where you fall in the organization's culture, your ability to shape the organization's culture and how others perceive you is a direct result of the level of intention with which you operate. So that's what we're going to talk about. Mindy, welcome to the show. Wanda, thanks so much. Pleasure to be here. Delighted to have you. Looking forward to hearing this. And based on the number of comments that I've gotten from people about the post on this topic, I think there are a lot of people who are interested in this notion of intention. So let me start at the basics. When you say lead with intention, what do you mean? You know, leading with intention is really built upon a foundation of awareness. So it's about being mindful about how we show up, what tone we set, and having both an understanding and an ownership that we make a contribution to any dynamic that we're in. So I have to ask, isn't that the normal course of leadership? I mean, do, do we not do that on a regular daily basis? I think a lot of leaders um, come to their leadership by intuition versus intention. And I think, don't get me wrong, I think there are a lot of leaders that do that very well. But what I've seen time and again is that when leaders lead from an, intuitive, uh, an intentional place and they don't just lead out of old patterns of operating and they're deciding consciously who they want to be as a leader, their ability to impact an organization just rises exponentially. So while you say, isn't this the matter of course, I can tell you in the 25 plus years that I've been working um, in this field, I can tell you probably about 85% of the leaders that I've come across don't lead with intention. 85%. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. Now, I deal with lots of people who are unaware of the impact that they have. 
<laughs> it's got a lot of un- unintended consequences. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's part of it. Uh, oh, for sure. I mean, the base of leading with intention is is starting with an awareness of ourselves, the mindsets in which we operate, the impact that we have on others, and even the context in which we operate. Because the way you operate in one context and what works in one context may not be what works in another context. And it's taking all those things into account and understanding who do I want to be in this situation and how do I move in that direction consciously and intentionally. Okay, so I get this notion of awareness, that we have to be aware of the impact that we're having, aware of ourselves, aware of our defaults, biases, preferences. I get that the context that you, who you want to be in this situation is going to adapt based on who's sitting across the table from you or what the context is about. But talk to me a bit about this mindset, the notion of mindset of a leader. What do you mean by that? So we all operate with mindsets, right? We would not be able to operate in the world, really, um, if we didn't have some level of filters that help us filter through all the information coming at us. And our mindsets guide our behaviors. And so things that have, and they're shaped by lots of different things, you know, things that, that have happened in our past shape our mindsets about what we expect in the future. But our mindsets really determine what our behaviors are going to be. And unless we, we take a, a sidestep and and really question our mindsets, which I think is an uncomfortable place for some people, and say, you know, what story am I making up here about this situation? What's my interpretation of this situation? I don't think we can get clear on what are we doing simply behind old mindsets that we're carrying around. So let me give you an example, and then I'm going to ask Great. for you an example. But I'm thinking about a particular leader that I know, who was at one point in time a CEO of a large company, he admired someone that recruited him into that company and who led with a particular style, a very forceful style, for lack of a, don't need to describe much more about it. And his view about the ideal way to lead was patterned very much after that leader that he admired. Is that what you mean by mindset or do you mean more than that? Well, I think it. I think that's part of what I mean. So, you know, our mindsets are are shaped by things that have happened to us in our past. They're shaped by, believe it or not, leadership is shaped very young in our lives in terms of both our experiences inside of our families um, and experiences at school. And so, what we bring into our adult life as leaders is we bring all of that into the mix. Your example is an example of somebody who brought into the mix what a leader in front of him modeled. And the number one way culture gets shaped in an organization is by what leaders model. And I know we'll talk about culture later, but it is such a powerful place to to sit in an organization. And it does shape and have impact on the mindsets that people then take into their own practice. So what you described, yes, that's part of it, but it's a whole kind of, it's a whole melange of things that we bring to our mindsets that have been formed over years and years. And again, unless we're willing to step to the side of those, and we simply operate out of those. And it guides our behavior. It guides what we think is possible even. And, you know, perfect example. Um, you know, there are mindsets that guided the day. So as an example, way back, and I'm sure many of your listeners have heard this example, but way back um, in the probably 70s, there was, um, you know, a, an edict about computers that said, nobody is going to need this thing on a desktop. And that was, in, you know, that was a mindset that guided ways that a 
organization made its decisions about where they were going to go, where they were going to look at in terms of what they were going to develop, what channels they were going to go through in terms of marketing their product. And so, you know, that organization missed the boat on the microcomputer day. And, you know, that organization in part was IBM. And so you, you had an organization that stood up and said, we don't need a desktop computer. And then look what happened in terms of the explosion of that, that industry. That's a mindset that guided a whole organization's ability to think beyond just what they thought was possible. So I had the mindset of the leader, but I equally have the mindset and the culture of the company. Absolutely. All right. So leading with intention, three components. There's the awareness, awareness of myself and the impact I have. There's the mindset, the things that I carry with me about what it means to lead and who I am as a leader and what we should and shouldn't be focused on. And then there's the context, understanding who I need to be in this particular situation. So give me an example of what it looks like when someone is using all three of those to genuinely lead with intention. Sure. So um, it, it can be as small as how present someone is being when they're with you. So it's a classic, easy example, right? If I'm on the phone with somebody and I hear typing in the background, my sense of their attention to me, their um, presence with me is, is compromised, and it does something to me internally, right? It makes me not engage maybe as much and as fully as I would like to. On the flip side, you know, there are great examples of people who have gone in with, with awareness and intentionality. I was recently at a meeting. There was a CEO who came into the meeting. She was um, under incredible pressure from the board. The, the organization was in a high-stress mode And it would have been really easy for her to cancel this meeting, which was a meeting of the high potential people in the organization. So a nice to have, not a need to have. They could have reorganized the meeting. But what she knew is that the impact of that would send an unintended message that she just wasn't willing to do. And she said, you know what? This is as important as the things that I'm dealing with, with the board and with the other things going on in the organization. And she didn't cancel the meeting. Now, that for her, was being very mindful of the impact it would have had on those people for her to cancel the meeting and saying, I'm going to choose in the direction, I'm going to consciously choose in the direction of those people and the impact I want to have on them. All right. So this notion of thinking through not just what is it that's most urgent top priority on my list at the moment, the where I need to spend my time, but recognizing really and truly the unintended consequences of an action or a set of words that you have. Absolutely. There's a, a another story that I actually think is in the book, um, if I'm recalling correctly, but um, I had a, a meeting once that I was helping facilitate and the leader of that meeting said, listen, Mindy, I don't bring my uh, global team together very often. And so, you know, this meeting, I want us to be all in. Um, I want us to be present. I want us to not be on computers. I want us to not be, you know, on smartphones, whatever. And I really want us to be all in. I want this to be a highly impactful meeting. About two hours. And so I said, fantastic. That's great. So she set that up at the beginning of the meeting, said those words. And about two hours into the meeting, she pulled out her computer. And it wasn't that she was being um, a jerky leader. It was that that was her pattern. That was what was familiar to her. And I watched as she pulled out her computer, and all she did was glance at her email. I think she responded to one or two. Meeting kept going on, 
But then I watched two or three other people pull out their computers. So at the break, I said to her, hey, I just want to let you know, this is what you said at the beginning of the meeting. This is what you did. The impact of that is that people are watching your actions, not listening to your words, and you're really, you're counter, counteracting what you said you wanted to do at the beginning of the meeting. And it's going to have a downstream impact. And to her great credit, she said, you know what? You're absolutely right. Didn't even really cross my mind. It's what I typically do. So she acknowledged that. She went back into the meeting and she said, hey, gang, I'd like to reset the clock. I'd like to start from the beginning again. Here's what I said. Here's what I did. That's on me. And I do want us fully present for the remainder of this meeting, me included. And after that meeting, the uh, conversation after that meeting was extraordinary in terms of the impact of what she had done of owning her contribution to the dynamic, calling it, you know, uh, correcting it, and then having a meeting where everybody was really present. I can imagine the for a leader to be, we've talked about this a number of times on the show, for a leader to be able to say, in effect, hey, I didn't do that the way I intended to do that, let's start over again, has a tremendous impact on a team, I think in a constructive way, I think it builds trust. Absolutely. All right, so I want to lead with intention. Obviously, that's a good thing. I think that's a good thing. Um, I need to be aware. I need to know my mindsets. I need to understand the context in which I'm operating. How do I get started? What do I do that lets me develop my intentionality? You know, I think it's, um, it's pretty simple. So, you know, when people read the book, it is not um, that it's an earth-shattering concept, right? It's stuff that I think is pretty common sense, but what the book tries to do is in one place make you think about it and give you some tools in terms of how to approach it. So when I coach executive leaders, I really focus in three layers of growth. So if you can think of it visually as three concentric circles. So the innermost circle is awareness, which we've been talking about, and that's just the the cognitive aspects of understanding our behavior, having the awareness to see how who we're being is impacting others. Then there's the next circle out, and that's called integration. And that, that concentric circle just represents the behavioral elements of turning that cognitive data into action. So intentionally choosing how you want to behave and then actually behaving that way. And then the last concentric circle is embodiment. And that outermost circle simply represents consistency over time. It's like, it's like anything new that we were trying to do. It takes understanding how to do it then doing it, then repeating it over and over again until it becomes a new way of operating. So it's not um, earth-shattering, you know, social science. It is really the practice of working the muscles. You know, one tool that I can suggest that, that your listeners can go apply today, um, next meeting they're going to go to. Here's a simple tool, and it's in the book called The Two Plus Two. Before the next meeting you go into, think about the dynamics in the room, that you're walking into. Think about the context of that meeting. So what's, what's going on around the topic of that meeting? And then think about the agenda and determine two questions that you want to ask and contribute to the conversation and two thoughts you want to contribute. So two questions and two thoughts you want to contribute to the topic. And that simple act of being clear in your own mind of your intentions as you walk in that meeting helps you come across is more grounded, is more prepared, and more intentional. So it's really just deciding what are those areas that I want to focus on and then working that muscle 
over and over and over again. Okay. Now, I can imagine that someone could, in the moment, particularly in a coaching or in a training program, raise awareness. We have a number of tools for helping people do that, like 360 feedback, among other things. And that I can get, in the moment, focus on the behavioral elements of what that means I would need to be doing. But sustaining that over time, keeping it top mm-hmm. of mind, not slipping back into a bad habit, how do you have people sustain it? You know, I think one of the best ways, Wanda, to do that is to really have, um, I'm going to say peer coaches, folks inside the organization who know what you're trying to work on, they have the most access to seeing you in the moment. And so it's building that network of people who can, and maybe it's one person or maybe it's two, who, who are in some of the meetings that you're in. And you say, look, I'm really trying to do X. You know, can we, after the meeting, just debrief and you give me some feedback on that? So it's, you know, I know for you and I, we do that with, with other um, people as external coaches to inside the organization. But the, while that's useful, we don't have the kind of access people do inside the organization. And so if you can have both of those things happening, that's terrific. If you can have at least one of those things happening, that's also good. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I, this week I was working with someone that I have coached for a while. We're coming to the end of the coaching session, and one of the comments to her was, you need to tell your senior sponsor that this is the thing you're most working on. Mm-hmm. And there was this shock of, why would I tell him that? You know, I don't want to reveal that weakness or flaw or vulnerability. And my comment was, one, you need to put him on notice that this is what you're working on. That's important. But you also open up the door for him to be able to give you feedback, both when you got it right and when you didn't get it so right. But if you never say, this is what I'm working on, admit that, then no one has license to come back around and give you regular feedback on it's working or not working. You never know. That's absolutely right. And I do think it opens you up a little bit to feeling vulnerable. Um, But, you know, I know and, and I think vulnerability also can build trust. And so our willingness to be a little bit vulnerable and say, hey, this is what I'm trying to work on, actually strengthens that connection to one another. Okay. I'm a big believer in vulnerability, but boy, is it a hard one to get across (laughs) in a corporate environment, particularly in a high-stakes game when it's a global and a lot on the line. Mm -hmm. Um, I also find it's particularly difficult for women to want to express that vulnerability. I think it's very different for, for women to want to express that vulnerability because I think there's a bit of a different standard around that, and it gets interpreted differently. Indeed. There's a weakness, and unless we could talk for that one a long time. I want to go back (laughs) to this whole notion about leading with intentionality. One, raising my awareness. Two, exploring what my mindset is. What are my biases, stories I carry in my head about what I should be doing as a leader? And three is being more conscious of the context. And you said to develop... We start with awareness, and then we look at integration, the behaviors that I can do that take that awareness into action, and the embodiment is the consistency over time. You've given us a couple of tricks, of tools here to use in doing this. What do you think are the barriers that keep people from being more intentional? I think it's their own patience. Um, you know, the recent studies report it takes about 66 days on average to incorporate a new habit. And I think, you know, we get pretty impatient if things don't come easily. And it takes time to build the muscles of a new behavior. You know, we're going to undoubtedly falter. It's, it's part of the process. It's part of the toggle that's really natural when you're incorporating a new behavior. And you, 
the the best I can say is you just get back on track by trying again. It's it's as simple as that. You just try again. You know, I I know myself. So, um, you know, I forever have the perpetual ten pounds I'd like to lose, right? So, and I know what that takes, right? I know you have to eat less calories and you have to exercise more. And so I have the full cognitive ability about what that takes. Behaviorally, those don't always match up, and it's that toggle, right? It's the well, gosh, I know I should exercise five days a week. Well, this week I only did two. So how do I keep getting back on the horse and keep moving in the direction of the five days or the six days? And that's really for this, this concept of intentionality and leading with intention. It's the same thing. It's, you're, it's really wrestling with your own patience and knowing that it's going to take time. And the best you can do is pick one or two things and go after those. Don't try to eat the elephant. Don't try to do it all at once. Picture, you know, maybe you say to yourself, all I want to do for the next month is incorporate a two plus two in every meeting I have, whether that's a one-on-one meeting or a group meeting. And do that for, for the next month. You will be amazed at how differently you'll feel in the meeting at the end, and at the end of the month in terms of how you show up in that room. Okay. That makes tons of sense to me. Um, get completely what you're going with. So it's our patience and our willingness. And I think there's two components you've described. One is it's patience and time to develop a new habit. I love that 66 days to get a new habit. But it's also putting that in bite-sized pieces rather Mm -hmm. than saying I'm going to suddenly become this fabulous um, communicator, for example. I'm going to instead do something very small like incorporate two by two in every single meeting that I have. Right. And I think, I think we only think or oftentimes think in terms of the grand stroke versus the small steps that get you to the grand stroke. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Any other barriers? So we got the patience. we got the intentionality. we got the small pieces. Anything else that we need to focus on? You know, I just think the, the, um, one of the biggest challenges, I think, for today's leaders and um, around leading with intention is that the stakes are really high in this day and age, you know, of talent that wants to feel inspired, organizations that, that must continue to find ways to stay relevant to today's consumers and, and business models that actually can change overnight, right? And so I think the stakes are high for leaders to really lead with a level of intentionality because what leaders model is what companies become. And the tone they set has a direct correlation to the business outcomes that are achieved. So it's not this fluffy concept of, you know, let's all just be nice leaders. And and it has a direct impact on the business outcomes that are achieved. And in this day and age, the stakes are high for this to be a concept that people understand and start to incorporate. Great. Fabulous. I love it, Mindy. We're going to take a break. The um, notion is leading with intention. So who do you want to be as a leader? What impact do you want to have? And how do you want people to experience you? Three components, your awareness, your mindset, the stories you tell yourself, and the context in which you operate. Now, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about how to develop this intentionality and specifically focus on some questions you can be addressing right now to improve your intentionality. And we'll be right back.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. How is your work-life balance? In most businesses, no matter where you are positioned, there is always room for improvement. If you're an executive, learn insight about your business. Are you an employee? Learn how to better work with your team. Even if you're not in business, you can learn where your strengths and weaknesses can be played to their best potential. The Work-Life Balance with host Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. What does a visual workplace mean to you? How does it contribute to operational excellence? And what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place? Listen to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense to find out. Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. I'm with Mindy Hall. Mindy is president and CEO of Peak Development Consulting and the author of a book, Leading with Intention, Every Moment is a Choice. She's a prolific writer in a number of magazines and works a lot with global corporations, large corporations across a number of industries. Her philosophy can be summed up in eight simple words, quote, I want it to matter that we met. What a great tagline, Mindy. Um, we've just been talking about this whole notion of leading with intention and the, the fact that to lead with intention means that I am being conscious of three components simultaneously. One is aware of how I come across and what is being received about what I'm doing. The second is the mindset, the stories that I carry in my head about what it means to lead. And the third one is the context, the situation we're in, the dynamics of that situation. So in this particular segment, I want to focus on how we become more intentional, what the techniques are. And Mindy, you talk about this as being able to see yourself. Mm -hmm. What do you mean and how do we do that? So um, the best way I can describe this, Wanda, is is this idea, and it will be um, best probably through a story. So I was working with a president of an organization and she was a fantastic, um, fantastic mind, 
but she had an engineering mind. And when she went to, to this organization, she said, I want to create an organization that is highly innovative. And I want people to come to me with ideas. I want whiteboards everywhere. I want to have them come into the room and basically let's work the idea together. And so that was the energy and the intention she had. What happened was that she, she told that to the organization when she arrived and she said, this is what I'm trying to create in terms of the culture here. And people would bring her ideas. And because of her engineering mindset, what she would do in those conversations is she would start to drill down and say things like, well, have you done a net present value um, calculation? Have you thought about da-da-da-da-da? And for her, that was the way that she worked through her thinking. The impact of that was that people started to feel like, particularly because of her position, you cannot go in and talk to her unless you have a fully baked business case. So it was running completely counter to the um, intention that she had for the organization. So she called me and said, listen, I, I don't really know what's happened here. I think I've gotten off on the wrong foot. It was about three months into her tenure. I went in and I observed some of the behavior. And I said, no, I think I know part of what is at play here and what's the issue. And I said, here's what you said. Here's what you're doing. Here's your intention, great intention. And when, the way you work a problem is you ask those kinds of questions. The impact of those questions is making people feel like they can't come to you to work the problem. They actually feel like they have to come to you with the answers. And she was surprised at um, how that had gotten mixed. And so what I said to her was, what I'd like you to start to do is see yourself and be, be in the moment and see yourself in the moment all at the same time. And if you were on the receiving end of this exchange, what would you be feeling? What would you be seeing? And keep in mind that you're the president. And so she did that for a while. And it takes a, a pretty high degree of intellect and energy to do that. And she came back and said, I was absolutely amazed at what it did for me to get a sense of how I was showing up to people and the impact of that. And so when you start to think of seeing yourself, it's how am I seeing yourself in the moment and being in the moment all at the same time. And if I were on the receiving end of this, how would I be feeling, how would I be seeing me, et cetera. And again, it takes a while to work that muscle. So it's trying it in bite-sized chunks. You know, every interaction we have is an opportunity and every action has an impact. And so, you know, it's, it's the subtitle of my book, Every Moment is a Choice. And so deciding how you understand how you're showing up in any given moment is a really powerful tool to have in your disposal. So, Mindy, you talk about her intention, the kind of culture she wanted to to create, and the great idea of the place that she was going to create. And you talk about what she was doing and saying, and the impact that that left on other people. So, in effect, this is being more aware of the disconnect between my intention and my impact. For her, it was for sure, and that's that was a little bit of look in the mirror. Okay. And, and understand that you're sitting in a big seat as the president, and so there's a power dynamic at play. But look in the mirror and, and really understand what your behavior, the unintentional ball your behavior is setting in motion. Okay. All right. So I'm with you. I buy this. I want to get better about understanding the impact that I have. How, how, what do I do? How do I go about doing this? So there are eight questions in the book. And... Um, 
I, we can spend a little bit of time on each one of those eight questions if that's useful, Wanda. Um, but those questions are, what kind of environment do I create? Am I clear about my intentions? Do I have preconceived notions of a person or situation? Do I challenge my mindsets, which we spoke about a little bit earlier? How open am I to my own learning? Do I do what I say I'm going to do? How would others describe me as a leader? And why do I do the work that I do? So those eight questions are ways that you start to get really clear for yourself about who you want to be and what you're bringing to the party. So is it helpful to go through each of those? I think the questions are fairly clear. My question is, how do I know? All right, so what kind of environment do I create? I could know what kind of environment I wanted to create, but how do I know what kind of environment I'm actually creating? So I'm going to go back to the the conversation we had about um, peer coaches and, you know, friends in the in the organization and and asking them, how would others describe the dynamic I create? You know, think of yourself. In the last three meetings you attended, how did you show up? What did you signal with your behavior? Were you somebody who kind of rushed into the room, scattered, et cetera? Were you somebody in the room who didn't rush into the room, scattered, you know, and, and with 8,000 other things going on. All of that has an impact. And it's these kinds of questions that are useful to ask ourselves. You know, if I ask 100 people to describe one person in their career that had a positive impact on their growth, potentially I could have 100 unique ways described about how somebody impact, got, impacted them. However, across all 100 there'd be one column, column excuse, excuse me, common element, and that would be an environment that was stimulating for at least one other human being. And so what I say to people is when you think about the environment you create, can you imagine the impact if each one of us made a decision to intentionally, positively impact the environment of just one person? And think about our behavior in that environment that we create. And leaders are in the big seat of having far-reaching impact of the environments they create in an organization. I've watched leaders who come into a room and open up communication. I've watched leaders come into a room who close down communication, all by simply how they came into the room. Wow. That's okay. a lot of power. And unless you're doing that intentionally, you're gonna, you are going to set unintended balls in motion. Okay. All right. So that leads to the second question, which is, are you clear about your intentions? Because if you're not clear about those intentions, you're going to do things that are counter to what you wanted, the environment you wanted to create, because there was a lack of clarity. Right. What about this notion? Yeah. The third question you said, which is, do you have preconceived notions of the person or the situation? Why is that a component here? So if you think of, and this is probably best illustrated with, with a a well-known example of Roger Bannister. So Roger Bannister was the first man to run a sub-four-minute mile. He did that in uh, May of 1954. And before that, it was thought impossible to be able to run a mile in less than four minutes. Two months after he did it, two more individuals did the same thing. And so what people attribute that to is the newfound belief that it could actually be done. So in essence, what, what we believe about a person or a situation guides our behavior until we have a new way of thinking about that person or situation. And so the reason this is such an important question is I ask people, what are the stories you have of yourself or of others that are guiding your behavior? 
Okay. All right. I'm going to give you an example from my life. We'll make sure that works in the <laughs> same the same direction. But again, a group of people that I was working with, we were working particularly in this case about how do you give effective feedback. A uh, big issue for this company is making it a stronger feedback culture. And a couple of the individuals who were in the session were going off to have a feedback conversation with an employee who they thought was just resisting their authority as leaders. Mm-hmm. Older, more experienced, more established, resentful of a younger leader, managers, telling them what to do and trying to create change. And I said to them, if that's what you believe is the cause, then that's how you will, that's the outcome you will get. But what if that's not the right answer? What if the reason the person is behaving the way they're behaving is something completely different? The response was, what do you mean? Well, one plausible is maybe that individual doesn't know how to do what you're asking them to do. So I always say to people, you have to have three reasons why. Three, Give me three plausible hypotheses on why people are behaving the way they're doing. And that's the intent of breaking up this preconceived notion. That's what you mean? I think that's a terrific way to think about it and asking people to give you three plausible hypotheses. I think that's that's a terrific way to have people not just operate from what their preconceived notion or their mindset is of that person, for sure. Okay. All right. So now you say your fourth question is, do you challenge your mindsets? We talked yeah, a little I, bit at the beginning. We did. And I actually think this is the, um, that people stay away from this question because it's uncomfortable to realize how much of what we deem, quote, reality is simply our interpretation. Um, you know, it, there's, a, there's an old adage that says, we don't see things as they are, we see things as we are. And um, this, this notion of challenging our mindsets sometimes is um, pretty threatening to people because it upsets what feels like how they understand the world. And so I actually would borrow from what you just said, Wanda, and say, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could say, um, what are three plausible mindsets that are, <laughs> that are present in this situation? And I ask people all the time around this question when, they, when we talk about mindsets is I say, you know, here's a good question to ask yourself. What story am I making up? And what that guides you to do is understand what you're bringing to that equation, very much like your example, right? Which was their belief that that this person was just not wanting to follow, right? And and I think your recommendation of three plausible hypotheses could easily be applied to the mindset piece as well. Right. Well, and the underlying belief in the case that I just described, I think fundamentally comes down to older people are going to resist my leadership because I'm younger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you then your behavior operates from there. Right. So you're bracing or you're and it could be entirely the wrong mindset to have. Okay, I can imagine how that one's a very difficult one to do and probably a difficult one to do without a thinking partner who's reflecting it back to you. That's exactly right. Um, So how open are you to your own learning? That's your fifth question. Why does that one matter? So the best leaders that I've met, and, and perhaps that you've met, I'd really be interested to hear if, if you find this to be the case as well, are those who I see and experience as being open to their own learning, who don't believe that they have all the answers or need to have all the answers. And what it looks like is a, a curiosity, right? An openness to new ideas, a, a receptivity to different points of view, a sh- you know, almost a shared notion of creating something. And I just find that the leaders that have that ability 
that are open to their own learning and curious and interested in others' points of view are those that end up being, for me, in, at least anecdotally, the leaders that I've seen have the most positive impact on their organizations. You know, a, a way to strengthen this openness to your own learning, it's something that I do every year. Um, and it's really to, to think about, identify two experiences you've never had. And then in the next year, and I do this every December, and in the next year, make those two experiences happen. So as an example, these are a little out there, but I had never had high tea at the Four Seasons. <laughs> and okay. So I went and had high tea at the Four Seasons. And what that exposed me to, just in terms of, you know, a different way of thinking about things or different people, was terrific. I had never ridden on a Greyhound bus, so I rode a Greyhound bus, and that was an entirely different experience than high tea at the Four Seasons. So even just things that exposed me to different people, to different ways of thinking, all keep me very active in my learning. You know, I went to a uh, course, I sat in on a lecture, and I, it was astrophysics, and I don't know anything about astrophysics at all, and it was way, I think, beyond what my understanding could be, but it stretched my mind, um, and that was good. So every year, I pick a couple things that I've not done before, and I just keep my own learning active, and um, it's a way for me, you know, I'm sitting in a, in a podcast studio right now, and I'm surrounded by over 700 books, and I haven't read all of them, certainly from cover to cover, but a good portion of them I've, I've looked at, you know, in some form or fashion. And I continue to just um, dive into keeping my learning active. And the, the leaders that I've seen be the best leaders are those that do the same. I certainly see that as well. And maybe it's a bit of my own mindset. The leaders that I admire the most are the ones who don't have to have all the answers all the time. I think if you have to have all the answers, it's fairly hard to lead unless you're leading as the expert. And hence the premise about the show is to get out of the expertise zone. Mm -hmm. I also know that this curiosity, being curious about other people, genuinely curious, not critically curious, is an absolute cornerstone for being able to do effective conflict. And it is critical for being able to have a diverse culture or an inclusive um, environment. I agree. So I think that goes hand in hand. Um, Let's go to the next question you have. So do what you say you're going to do, of course. If you don't do that, we don't trust you. How other people would describe you, that I can imagine that would lead to, I often ask in um, 360 evaluations, what are the five words you'd use to describe this person? And it's quite insightful what people say in those things. Absolutely. But your last question, why do you do the work you do? Why does that one matter? You know, I think this is about, for me, about helping people tap into their passion. So if you didn't have to worry about money, what would you do at this point in your career? You know, what... What are the words you want to live by? Are you doing something that fuels your passion? I ask leaders these questions really to connect them to their larger purpose. And, and I have them consider how much of that larger purpose is actually showing up in their actions or what they're doing day to day. Um, you mentioned at the beginning of this section, you know, my words for myself are that I want it to matter that we met. And the shape of those words in my professional life can be as large scale as a total organizational initiative or as individual as executive coaching. And for me, no matter what shape it takes, the core remains the same, that I want it to matter that we met. And so that's a passion that fuels me in the work that I do. And what I try to do with leaders 
when they're thinking about leading with intention, they're thinking about how to, what kind of leader do I want to be and how do I want to show up? I try to help them figure out and tap into what is that place in them that is passionate? And then how can you play that out in your behavior? Okay. Makes a lot of sense to me. Eight fabulous questions. So we're going to take a break again. With me today is Mindy Hall. The book, if you're interested, is Leading with Intention, Every Moment is a Choice. Mindy's phrase for her philosophy is, I want it to matter that we met. Talk about passion and intention. We've been talking about the eight questions you can ask yourself. Go through with others, get some insight on and perspective on that allow you to think both about your intention in the moment how you act and what you say and what you do and the impact that that's having on other people. In effect, to see yourself in the moment, to be on the receiving end of your own actions. When we come back, I want to talk about the culture that you create. Now, the tendency is to think about culture as just something that the leader does, the top of the organization does. And Mindy's view is that all of us, every single one of us, impacts the culture. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Your entrepreneurial vision has taken hold. Your business is growing. It's everything you hoped for. Or is it? With growth comes bigger headaches, more hiring, more capital, more customers to satisfy, more employees to manage, more plates to juggle, and more demands on your time. Get off that merry-go-round now. Tune in to The Business Edge with Marsha Zeidel. You'll meet street-smart entrepreneurs and business leaders sharing their success stories as well as practical solutions to the unique challenges faced by growing companies. Heard every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Mindy Hall. Mindy's with Peak Development Consulting, and the book is Leading with Intention, Every Moment is a Choice. We have been talking for the last while about what it means to lead with intention. The basic notion is that, one, there's a sense of awareness of myself. Two, there's a knowledge of the mindset that I'm carrying with me. And three, there's an understanding of the context in which I'm operating. And that all of us can become more 
conscious of the intention with which we are, what we're doing, how we're showing up, how we're impacting other people. Now, in this particular segment, I want to talk about the culture. Now, Mindy, I made a very bold statement in the segue from the last segment to say that every person in the organization can affect the culture. Do you agree with that? I absolutely do. I think that when we talk about leadership, for me, Wanda, it's not um, defined by level or position. It's defined by actions. Okay. Well, that's an interesting idea. It's defined by action. Now, do you translate that to culture? And let me tell you what I mean by this. Culture is often a fairly elusive concept. We all have a sense of it. We can go through elaborate studies to define it or characterize it, but we sort of know what it means, you know, how we behave and how we act towards each other. And it seems to be there for decades. I swear sometimes you completely change every single person in the entire organization and something about the culture is still there, even though the people have changed. So is it truly possible to change the culture? I, uh, I absolutely believe that it's possible to change culture, but it requires alignment. And alignment comes when you're clear about what you're trying to change it to. You know, culture um, is going to form by invitation, uh, or or, excuse me, culture is going to form by design or default. And really, an organization's ability to shape its culture is just just based on its level of intention toward the culture they want to create. So I think it's absolutely possible to shape culture, but there has to be alignment. Now, I said that I don't think that leaders is reserved for a level in the organization. But with with culture and alignment, it's particularly important at the top of the organization to have that level of alignment. If you have leaders who don't personify the culture and there's no consequence for that, it won't matter how much you tell people the kind of culture you want to have. If they see examples that run counter to the words, they'll believe actions much more than words. So people listen more to what you do than what you say. So, you know, when you said it's elusive and it is often elusive, but if you have alignment in an organization that says, here are the two or three big tenets of what we want this culture to be about, and you have alignment at the leadership level, and that shows up then in the way that you talk about the culture, in the way that the le- what the leaders model, in the skills you give people to be able to be successful in that culture, and then you reinforce those behaviors, you absolutely can shape culture. It's an interesting idea. Uh, We've been doing a lot of work on inclusivity, on how you create a culture in which everyone feels that their voice is heard and they have an opportunity to contribute equally. One of the questions that we always ask in trying to understand the state of affairs for any company that we're working with is who gets promoted around here and why? (laughs) Because my belief is that who gets promoted and the stories people tell themselves about why that person got promoted is the under texture of what it means you need to do. In effect, it's a better capture of the culture than of anything else. That's what you're saying. What are the actions we do? Absolutely. And and people will listen to that much louder. As an example, you know, I worked with a company and they had, uh, they had a fabulous, fabulous CEO who had all kinds of energy about the organization that he wanted to create. He had a leadership team that had two folks on it that had zero interest in moving in that direction. And his downfall was that he didn't trade them out. And he didn't, there was no accountability or consequence for not not helping shape that culture. 
And this isn't about, you know, if you don't agree, then you're out. This is more about if you don't agree, then let's speak up and have the conversation. But when we are, when we go out to the organization, we are aligned as an executive team about what we're trying to do here. And he, he didn't do a good job of calling that out and he did not get where he wanted to go. So it is that, that actions speak louder than words. And what, what you are doing is listened to much more than what you're saying. You know, culture's not um, a program. It's not, you know, it's, it's not something, a program that you implement. It's everyday actions and messaging. And it's clarity around those two to three big things or three to four big things that you want to be about as a culture. Okay. All right. So how do you, if you're advising somebody to shape the culture, how do you help them begin doing so? So the first thing I do is um, I tell them cultures formed by invitation, not mandate. It's, it's formed by commitment and not coercion. So it is about creating a place that people actually want to be part of. So, you know, I've sat in many meetings, I'm sure you have as well, Wanda, where people have come up with, you know, here are the 10 culture words that are here, are the 10 attributes of our culture, and they feel like pretty static old words. You know, we will be process oriented or we will, whatever it is. And you look at those and say, would I be jazzed to come and work here? Does this, is this feel like more corporate speak or are these significant enough to touch me emotionally? Because culture's not an intellectual thing. It's an emotional thing. And so the first thing I do with, with executive teams is I say, let's talk about the culture you want to create. Just talk out loud about that. And then let's figure out the right words that actually have an emotive sense to them that get people excited that say, I'm jazzed about being here. Once you have those, then it's really those four things I mentioned earlier. How do you take those things and have them show up in how you talk about the culture, formally and informally, right? So in your communication vehicles, your formal ones and your informal, how are you talking about the culture? How are you using those words over and over again? Second element, leadership. What are your leaders modeling? If your leaders are not personifying those words, you either have to trade out those leaders or help those leaders get to where they can personify those words. Education is the third stool or third leg. And that's really, once you've identified the culture, how do you give people the skills to be successful in that culture? And that doesn't mean, you know, formal um, sit in a classroom, we're going to have a culture workshop. That is, how do you help people be, you know, let's say you want to have an innovative culture. How do you help people be more innovative? What do you do? What do you build into the, the organization that really unleashes that? And then the last um, leg is really reinforcement. And how are, you be, how are you rewarding the behaviors that support the desired culture? And I'm not talking about, you know, big performance management processes, although those are good um, helpers. I'm talking about the informal stuff. The, you know, the leader stands up and says, John really did a great job in coming up with this new innovative idea. And there's some you know, connection to what you're trying to drive. Those four things together start to create the culture you want to create. But it starts with articulating what that is in language that is compelling and having alignment at the leadership level. Mindy, you've inspired me to believe that it is possible to change culture, and I can get fairly cynical about this on occasion. I love <laughs> well, the <good>. notion <laughs> that a culture is formed by invitation, not by mandate. I think that's absolutely true. And then to ask yourself the words that you're saying, 
A, do I know what they mean that we'd be doing? And then B, would I be jazzed to work here? Would that touch me emotionally? Mm-hmm. So Mindy Hall, uh, Peak Development Consulting is the organization, and the book is Leading with Intention. Every moment is a choice. Mindy, thanks for being with us. Wanda, thank you so much. I've appreciated it. I think the one thing that strikes me here that I'm going to leave as a lasting thought is this notion of understanding if I'm going to lead with intentionality, understanding the mindset I bring with me, the stories I tell myself about why I do and what I don't do, the preconceived ideas I have about people and being more conscious about that, along with a host of other ideas. Again, Mindy, thanks very much. Next week, we'll be talking with Keith Rolag, and the notion is how do you build relationships with strangers, as in when you're taking over a new role. Join us then. Thank you again for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Take charge this week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.